You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. So tonight for a few moments, how's your prayer life? Um, That's the topic that we're going to explore a little bit. The Bible reading, and by the way, some of you have been to the morning service, so if you're a regular attendant at the morning service, parts of what I'm going to share tonight might sound familiar because I've sort of slightly adapted this message from, uh, from a morning service a number of weeks ago. So let's go to Matthew's Gospel. And probably one of the best known passages of Scripture would have to be the Lord's Prayer. Am I right? I mean, in, in, uh, back in my day, back uh, you know, when, the, when the earth was cooling and Apostle, the Apostle Paul was praying for the roosters, uh, we used to actually recite the Lord's Prayer as part of school assembly. I, I don't think they do that anymore, but like, uh, there are many Australians who've grown up with a very intimate knowledge of the Lord's Prayer. But the verses that lead into the Lord's Prayer are among the most powerful things Jesus Christ ever said on this topic of prayer. Have a look at this, Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand up and pray in the houses of worship and on the street corners so that everyone will see them. I assure you, they have already been paid in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what you do in private will reward you. When you pray, do not use a lot of meaningless words as the pagans do, who think that their prayers, or rather think that their gods will hear them because their prayers are long. Do not be like them. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Guys, let's be real. Prayer poses a problem for a lot of people. Even people who've been in the church, have been Christians for many, many years. If I were to ask you, what are some of your greatest struggles in the area of prayer, what would, you, what would you say? In fact, I'm going to ask you that right off the bat. How would you finish this sentence? One of my greatest struggles with prayer is, what would you say? Is it lack of time? Is it lack of privacy? Uh, is, it, uh, is it you always fall asleep <laughs> halfway through your prayers? Is it not knowing what to pray for? Is there somebody out there who's saying, well, I don't pray because I just don't believe in prayer? I mean, you know, closing your eyes and imagine you're talking to somebody, you're like, what's that all about? So how would you finish that sentence? My greatest or one of my greatest struggles with prayer is, have you got an answer? Would it surprise you to know that one of my most unholy moments of prayer happened in one of the most holy places on earth? Uh, I don't think I've shared this story at night. I know I've shared it in the morning. But I was uh, in 2001, I was standing with a group of other ministers at the Western Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, where if you know anything about that particular spot, that is a, uh, that's the most sacred place on earth for the members of the Jewish faith. And, that, and all you do at the Western Wall is you just pray all the time. <laughs> you get, they get that rhythm going, those Orthodox Jews, and they write prayers on little bits of paper, and they roll them up and they stick them into these ancient walls, these 2,000-plus-year-old walls. They stick the little prayers in there. It is sacred. It is absolutely... It, it's, it's a moving experience to be there at the Wailing Wall. Next to the Wailing Wall, if that's not sacred enough, next to the Wailing Wall there is what can only be described as a synagogue. 
It's just tucked in behind the wall. And I went in there, men only. Sorry, ladies, it's very, very strictly men. Went in there and I thought I was back in New Testament times. Here were guys rolling through big books and they were arguing about different aspects of the, uh, of the law and the Torah. It was just phenomenal. And a, a kindly old rabbi came up to me and I wish I, if we'd had more time, I would have put his picture up on the, on the screen. This guy was like, this guy was as rabbinical as you could get. The long beard, the hat, the robes, you know, like just absolutely, like you'd pick him as a Jewish rabbi from uh, three kilometres away. And he quietly said to me, he said, uh, my son, you're a long way from home. I don't know why he thought that. I just had, you know, camera around my neck and, you know, <laughs> maps everywhere. I don't know. I thought I was blending in. And uh, he said, you're a long way from home, my son. I said, I am uh, rabbi. Yes. So I thought, better say rabbi yeah, rather than father. I said, I am rabbi. He said, uh, would you like me to pray for you and your family? I said, oh, yeah, that, that'd be great. He said, OK, we'll pray. I said, great. Thank you. He said, you'd really like to pray? I said, well, yes, thank you very much. I really would like, and, and I wonder what was going on. And I kind of looked and he, his hand out. <laughs> oh, right, okay, you want money, okay. So <laughs> it was like, you know, you, you pay up and we'll pray. <laughs> so I gave him an American dollar and um, it wasn't a bad prayer, actually. I, I often wonder what, what, how it would have gone if I gave him 10 bucks, you know. Um, <laughs> Might have solved all my problems. But, uh, well, that was, you know, I kind of felt that prayer lacked a little bit of authenticity and a little bit of sincerity with that uh, exchange of money. But anyway, that was okay. Hey, guys, look, Jesus had a lot to say about prayer. He had a lot. And you wonder why? Because, look, prayer was an entrenched part of the Jewish faith. I mean, his disciples were praying long before he came onto the scene. Uh, the Old Testament is full of references to prayer. They were a praying people several times a day, more than Christians most time, in, in most cases. And uh, prayer today is a very important part of the Jewish faith. Why was Jesus so strong in his emphasis on prayer when people were already praying? Even the pagans were praying. He, he mentions that. Why was he so strong? It's a kind of a surprising thing. Look, there are a few things Jesus clearly was concerned about. The first one was this. Jesus clearly in his teaching, is concerned about where we pray. Does that surprise you? He was concerned about where we pray. Prayer had become, here's the, here's the thing, prayer had become pretty much something of a spiritual performance in the days of Jesus. We get an insight into this in, that, uh, in verse 5 of the reading tonight. Look at this. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand up and pray in the houses of worship and on the street corners so that everyone will see them. I, I can think of an equivalent to this in my lifetime. Back when I was growing up, in my teenage years, I, I went to a church out in the western suburbs and with some of the ministers and some of the laity, prayer was an art form. I can only say that that's how it was. It was a, like they would use phraseology and, and, and the length of the prayers. And there was a certain guy, I won't mention his surname in case you're related to him. He would get up and he would have about eight quarto pre-A4, quarto sheets, all handwritten. And that was his prayer. It was like the SBS News of the World. Like it just covered every trouble spot and everything you could possibly. And they use, they'd use terms like, you know, bestow thy grace and uh, vochafe thy presence. Vochafe. What's, what's that? I still don't know what that means. <laughs> Except I think that's one of the words they use in the parliamentary prayer. If, uh, if you've ever, I mean, it means, you know, in part. I know. <laughs> 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 
Sam, the uh, participation part's ended, mate. Is that okay? Right, let's say. So, okay. <laughs> He's keen. It's okay. <laughs> See, a retreat will do that for you. You know, just like, you know, loosey-goosey. <laughs> Shafi, I like that, Sam. That's, that's a good one, mate. So, and, and like, oh, the, the effect was, oh my gosh, who could ever pray like that? So rather than lifting the prayer tone of the church, I think it actually had a, a dampening effect because these were considered to be, and there was a term, prayer warriors, you know, the, the creme de la creme of the prayers. And uh, so I'm not suggesting it was performance-based, but there was a lot of, you know, my prayer is longer than yours and I can use bigger words than yours. I don't know if it was intentional. Jesus goes on, he says, in verse 6, let's, just, let's check it, verse 6, Jesus says this, and this, is, this will surprise you. This will uh, surprise me when I first... Uh, was reading it in preparation for tonight. Let's, uh, verse 6, here it is. But when you pray, go to your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what you do in private will reward you. Go to your room. Close the door. Hang on, hang on, Jesus. Wait a minute. Close the door. Privacy of my room. Can't I pray anywhere? Isn't that what prayer is all about? I can pray in the car, I can pray at work, I can pray at the gym. I mean, is, that's what we've been taught in church. I don't pray anywhere. What, what's this behind closed doors? Let's try and dig a little deeper here. Let's look at levels of conversation in normal relationships. Look, we'll take marriage. It's one I know best, 42 years married. In marriage, a lot of conversation in marriage is made up of fairly light, superficial kind of stuff to do with the rough and tumble of every day. You know, what do we need in the, on the shopping list? Um, uh, when the kids were around, you know, uh, who's going to pick up the kids from, from gym or whatever? Um, you know, just general kind of communication about the, the stuff of running a house. That's conversation at a, at a certain level for, for all married couples. Um, you know, Andy Stanley, uh, the famous American preacher and writer, he makes the point in one of his books that a lot of Christians for much of the time have a fairly superficial relationship with the Father in their prayer life. And I know I can identify with this because this is where a lot of my prayers have been over the years. It sort of revolves, uh, revolves around the, the, the basically four parts to prayer. Lord, give me, give me. Bless me, bless me. Help me, help me. Heal me, heal me. Can anybody resonate with that? You know, like that's sort of the format for a lot of prayers that a lot of Christians pray. Now, back to the type of conversations that we have in relationships. Now, in marriage, if that's the only level at which a married couple operates, if that's about the depth of their relationship, it gets them by, house runs, the kids are taken everywhere. But that's, that's not what the real conversation is supposed to be about. I mean, every married couple is supposed to take time out to talk about hopes and dreams and aspirations and feelings and even doubts and, and, and all kinds of deeper issues. That's where the real connection really takes place. It's heart to heart, spirit to spirit kind of stuff. It's not necessarily behind closed doors, by the way, but it's in those quiet moments, maybe when you're away or on holidays or just in effective marriages, couples take time out over coffee or whatever, to, to have those kind of deeper conversations. Jesus talked about closing the door simply as a way, as a sort of a symbolic way of saying these more intimate moments of conversation with the Father, they need intentionality. They need focus. 
They need a certain degree of privacy. That's what he was getting at. Here's the second thing. Jesus is concerned about what we say. Not only where we pray, he's also concerned about what we say, how we frame our prayers. Verse 7 of the reading. When you pray, do not use a lot of meaningless words as pagans do. He goes on. Who think their gods will hear them because their prayers are long. I don't want to be disrespectful, but I wonder if those early prayer warriors got confused with the notion that length of prayers equaled depth and meaning of prayers. I'm not suggesting that that, might have, that was the intention, but I just wonder if they might have, might have unwittingly got that a little bit wrong. And I wonder if sometimes we might fall for the same trap of thinking that length of prayers necessarily matches up with depth and meaning of prayers. But somebody says, well, look, I thought you know, quality and quantity were important. Well, well they are. But guys, what we say is important. Jesus says, be careful about the way you frame your prayers. He goes on, verse 8. This is really, this is shocking. Do not be like them, the pagans. Or, sorry, the, the people who use all the language. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Now, I don't know how that verse strikes you, but that's always struck me as a bit of a shocker. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. So it just prompts the obvious question, well, why pray? Hello, if, if you know what we want, what we need, what are we doing praying for? Why are we getting, why are we bidding ourselves up for not praying? If you already know, Lord, what's the purpose? Well, Jesus, this is Jesus lovingly saying, lovingly saying, don't spend all your time in prayer on give me, give me, bless me, bless me, help me, help me. Heal me, heal me. If that's, the, if that's the sole foundation of your prayer, don't spend all your time on that because guess what? I already know all that. I already know all that. I know your needs. I know your wants. I know everything about you. What I'm more interested in is the relationship. Where we're going. I'm more concerned about what you think of me, how I'm, the extent to which you are allowing me to enter into every facet of your life, the extent to which you're listening to me, discerning what I'm already doing in the area of bless me, bless me, heal me, heal me, help me, because I am doing stuff. It's about the relationship, like those moments in a marriage when you move beyond the superficial. Who's picking up who? Who's going where? Who's doing the shopping? Who's doing the washing? And you get to that deeper level of how are we going? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you wanting? My three favourite questions for <clears throat> self-analysis in marriage. If you haven't picked up on those, I've dropped those many times over the years. You want to do a little self-analysis, a little self-check in your marriage or in your close relationship that might be aspiring to marriage or even in terms of any friendship. If you sense things are going a little bit rocky, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you wanting? And make sure each party gives honest answers to those three questions. Could save you hundreds of dollars in uh, counselling. Then again, it could propel you into deeper counselling, which might be much needed in some situations. Finally, Jesus is concerned about how we handle God's okay. And by God's okay, I mean the answers to prayer. Because, look, every prayer is answered, okay? I mean, every prayer is answered. 
Not every prayer is answered as we would like it to be. But every prayer has an answer. Every prayer is answered in some way or another. Jesus says, look at verse 7, Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Will reward you. Fantastic. Everything I want. No. No. But everything you need. Everything you need. His love, his grace, his forgiveness, his strength, his empowerment. Not everything we want necessarily. Prayer is not like winning Powerball. But everything we need, that's powerful. So Jesus is concerned about where we pray. He's concerned about what we say. He's concerned about how we handle God's okay. Looking for his answers, even when they're not exactly as we might like them to be. Guys, here's a final thought. Prayer is more than a request for God to act. It's a willingness to participate in the action he is already taking and wants to take. You see, God's not up there with his arms folded, sort of waiting for us to just get it right with the right prayer, the right language, the right key to unlock, and he reluctantly then goes, "Mm, okay, enough of your praying, I'll do it. No, 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 like... He's already taking action. That's his nature. His nature is love. His nature is grace. His nature is forgiveness. His nature is healing. He's already taking action. A big part of prayer is plugging into what he's already doing. So prayers take on a whole new look. So rather than give me, give me, help me, help me, heal me, heal me, it's, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to be part of your action. It changes the focus from not so much Lord, give something to me, but Lord, give me to something. Let me become part of your transformational work on this earth. There's a story that I love that um, I think encapsulates a lot of what I've said tonight because it raises a lot of deep theological issues about prayer and it leaves a few questions unanswered, but it certainly makes a very strong point. And it involves Dr. Tony Campolo, very famous American Author and speaker, very big in my uh, era when I was the age of uh, most of you here tonight. But he's still around, you know, kicking goals for the kingdom, amazing guy. And the uh, story goes that he was having a big uh, series of meetings in, a, in, a, in an American city. And during the ministry time, a lady brought her husband forward, who was clearly a very unwell man, very, very sick. And he's in a wheelchair. And as the story unfolded, riddled with cancer, and he'd been battling cancer for a long time. And the lady said, would you pray for healing for my husband? And Campolo says he was, he thought, whoa, we have to dig deep here. I mean, like, it was pretty clear this guy was not well at all. Campolo said he prayed his strongest prayer over the man and prayed for healing in the name of Jesus and warmly greeted the couple and then they went off and he wondered if he'd ever see them again. Well, about two weeks later, still ministering in the same city, this lady came up to him and she was beaming. She said, Dr. Campolo, thank you so much. Do you remember me? And she kind of rang a faint bell with him. She said, you, you prayed for my husband a couple of weeks ago. You prayed for healing. And I'm here to tell you, he was healed. Wow. And she had tears in her eyes. And Campolo said, well, gee, that's fantastic. You know, he's like, okay, all right. He said, well, wh- wh- where is he? She said he died last weekend. I said, what? You said he got healed. 
She said, oh, oh, oh he did. You, you don't understand. She said, you want to know, but when, when I brought him to you that night, I brought to you a bitter man, an angry man, a man who from the day of diagnosis just shook his face, shook his fist at God and kept asking, why me? What are you doing to me? She said, it just drove our family crazy. We tried to reach out to him. The church tried to reach out to him. We tried to minister to him. He wouldn't have any of it. He was just angry and bitter. She said, something happened the night you prayed, Dr. Campolo. We went home and just something was released from my husband. He stopped the, the fist shaking. A peace fell over him. And he died with a smile on his face, knowing that he was going to be ushered into the eternity that was waiting for him. And Campolo was still kind of, you know, sort of half getting it. And she said, Dr. Campolo, you healed my husband of the need to be healed. You healed my husband of the need to be healed. I said it would raise a lot of theological issues. You have to trek a certain journey in life to get to that point of spiritual maturity. That man got there. How's your prayer life? Sometimes our prayers need privacy. Prayer is not meant to be a sort of like a seat of the pants on the run. Oh, God, by the way, ooh, ooh, just in case you didn't know, like, you know, he knows it all. Our prayers need focus, as Luke has reminded us, intentionality. They need to, they need to be about the relationship. That's it. And this I've found in my own life. This can radically alter how you pray. And when you're more a part of the action, I'll go from this service tonight to our probably one of our two or three sickest people in this church, Warwick Bramwell. He's up in the hospital. Now, I go into a hospital ward with this perspective. God, what am I going to see in here that you are already doing? And I'll see a nurse. I'll see a doctor. I'll see, in his case, a guy who is showing remarkable faith and courage. It's just thank you all the way through. Thank you, God. Thank, thank you, God. So then that shapes the prayer and takes the pressure off. God, why? What's going on? Why are you doing? Thank you for what you're already doing. Help us to be thankful for no matter what happens here because we know whatever happens, we're on the winning side. Praise God. If there's going to be a miracle here, praise God. If there's going to be a gentle... Ushering into eternity, pray we, you know, well, why don't we pray right now?